0: conductive wire and you so electric I had no say when you came so near. And just right through me hey everyone welcome to Geekdom is back as is Sean Gonzalez it's been a while Sean but you're hopping on today to talk all about Hellraiser which is one of your favorite movies if not your favorite horror movie, at least. And I know we were texting back and forth before, because I just recently watched it for the first time. And that's sort of what spurred this idea for us to discuss it. So I want to start by having you tell me what your first experience with Hellraiser was like.
1: Yeah. Um, Fun fact for everyone listening. I have Hellraiser, I have Pinhead, um, because he's the main Cenobite, which is like the demon angel creatures. He is tattooed on my thigh, so shout out to Oron over at White Lotus Tattoo for the grueling 20-hour process that this took, but it looks wonderful. Um, So Hellraiser. First time I saw Hellraiser, I'm pretty sure I was in the teens. I know I was in high school, and it wasn't my first horror movie I'd seen, but it definitely was the first one where I like. It was like of these 80s. The 80s is the best genre or the best year and genre of horror movies, I believe. That's all all the horror movies in the 80s are just classics. And I remember watching Marathons one day, and I saw it, and I was like, this movie is indescribable because it's just so out there, and it's so visually displeasing that it really left a mark on like me as a teenager watching horror movies. So that's probably the first time. It's somewhere in between 14 to 16, is my
0: guess. So certainly that... More impressionable age. I think maybe because I did watch this later on in my life, it wasn't something that necessarily stuck with me quite as much because I can vividly remember going to a friend's house for Halloween and we would always put on, you know, your typical Halloween Nightmare on Elm Street movies. And the only problem was we never got around to finishing them because we'd all. Go out trick or treating afterwards. (laughs) So we would sort of just watch those until it kind of got late enough to trick or treat, and then we would be doing that all night. So a lot of these movies, it's not that I'm necessarily experiencing them for the first time. It's just the first time I've actually seen them all the way through in one sitting at least. And with Hellraiser, that was never one that came up. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm familiar with Pinhead as a character, I didn't really know anything about the character, though. I just knew what Pinhead looked like because, like you said, such an iconic looking character. And I was like, okay, you know, I have a few friends who keep telling me to watch it. So I'm finally going to watch it. And I believe it's on Shutter right now if anyone else is interested in checking it out. But I think there was just too much of a soap opera factor with the story to the point where I was like, okay, this is kind of like a horror soap opera. <laughs> and that's really what it felt like to me. And you know, I do want to dive into the cast a little here because you have Claire Higgins as Julia, Ashley Lawrence as Kirsty, Andrew Robinson as Larry, and they're kind of the three main characters we see aside from Sean Chapman as Frank Cotton. And I, as far as I know, no relation there. So there is that. But... <laughs> That family is certainly dysfunctional. And we see that Julia cheated on her husband with his brother. So you have sort of this whole soap opera dynamic going on that I think just took me out of some of the horror elements of the movie.
1: Mm. And I think that's that's why I love this movie as a horror movie because it's not about some person seeking or some like mystical being seeking to like, get revenge or to kill humans just because humans are this or that it's all about like this very human centered complex which is why i love films like hereditary or midsummer or the witch or it follows like they're movies that are centered around the human like experience Uh huh. and
0: we have
1: julia who cheats on larry with frank and she actually is perceived to be more in love with frank but I think that's just because of their sex- their sex together, their like sexual pleasure together was like better with each other than it was with Larry, and so that's like the whole theme of the movie. It's this very carnal experience, and that's where the Cenobites come in. They're not angels, they're not demons. Penhead even says that we are not angels, some perceive us some perceive as angels, some other other demons. We are simply explorers, and they're just trying to find these human beings who've lost all sense of pleasure and can no longer differentiate between pleasure and pain. And that's just such a meta analysis of humans in general. I think we get into these giant conversations about why people don't like relationships, why people seem to know to like fall out of relationships so easy, why some people seem to cheat on others. Like there is no such thing as a difference between pleasure and pain to some individuals. And I don't think there's ever been another movie that has touched on.
0: Yeah, usually it's, you know, you have this killer going out and killing people for whatever reason, because of some trauma that happened. But this was a whole different take. And because I didn't know what to expect going into it, because somehow the movie was never spoiled for me, which, you know, I kind of have a knack for doing things like that every once in a while. I'll go watch something that's, you know, from the 80s or 90s or even, you know, early 2000s, and I have just been so out of the loop with it to where I don't even know what to expect. And I think I had a different set of expectations for this. I think I was expecting it to be along the lines of a Halloween or a Nightmare on Elm Street. And when it wasn't that, I was like, oh, well, that's kind of weird. But I still had an enjoyable experience watching it. The only thing I would say was that was a downside for the characters of this movie was that you never really care too much about any one of them as soon as you find out that Julia cheated on Larry? you kind of feel bad for Larry, but at the same time, he doesn't really seem to be around enough for you to care about him that much, and then I would say maybe Kirsty was the most likable character, potentially,
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think that's I think that's another point of the movie, which I think really drives home just like human beings. is' like we don't care for each other. And I think obviously a lot of people love to go see movies to like invest in something. And I think the most interesting thing to invest in, in this movie is just the, the, the framework of the scenes, the effects of creating Frank, bringing Frank back to life. Like these scenes and these images are something you don't see in a lot of horror movies. And even to this day, there are very few horror movies where like you see these scenes of like these tortured individuals they're coming back and the dialogue is really creepy. It's really rapey. It's really unsettling. And you don't get that a lot very often anymore in horror movies. They're trying to just go for like scares or just like gore. And I think this movie just blended like, Hey, the only thing you need to be watching and looking out for are the humans and how they're interacting within this house, right? This space or the mental asylum hospital, which is interesting because in the 80s, we obviously had such a giant mental health crisis that our beloved president, Ronald Reagan, sent all the homeless people to the streets, right? So like, it is still this horror in a certain way of just human beings, and we don't necessarily know what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to feel, how we're supposed to look at them, they're just there. And I think that's where the scenery The dialogue really kicks in. Like my favorite part of this movie is when Hellraiser says, no tears, please. Tears are a waste of suffering. And then at the end, right before Frank gets ripped apart, he says Jesus wept. So that like connection is very often missed by a lot of people. But the fact that like Jesus wept because he was in suffering and the Cenobites don't want to see that. It's a waste of suffering. Tears are a waste of suffering. Like, that's just an incredible through line that I think a lot of people don't wrap their head around because it is just such staunch dialogue that I don't think a lot of people really enjoy hearing because it is very upfront and uncomfortable, you know?
0: I'll be honest, I totally did not catch that (laughs) at all when I was watching this. So I'm glad that, you know, you've probably seen this multiple times over the years, just revisiting it and everything like that. And I'm glad you brought up the visuals because I think most of the visuals that we see are what hold up the best as far as the story goes, because they definitely make Frank look as creepy as possible. It's totally disgusting when we first see him, and then you kind of see all of the muscle coming back. And it's almost like a lesson in anatomy (laughs) because of just how you're seeing the body in such a different way. And then you have, you know, all of the designs for this Cenobites and Pinhead in particular, that's something that just stands out so much. So I think a lot of what I liked about this movie leaned more towards how visually appealing it was, not necessarily story-wise.
1: Yeah. And that's that I 100% agree with. The story can be a little bit hard to follow, and a little again, it is it is one of the first times where I watched the story, and I didn't really feel comfortable being in it. I guess. Yeah. And I think that definitely has like a purpose because Frank is extreme. Like when he's saying to Kirsty, "Like come to Daddy," and there's, I mean, you could even argue like maybe Kirsty is Frank's kid, and we don't like they don't even try to bring that up because it's all for us to interpret how these characters are trying to build upon each other and that's all in this puzzle box and i yeah i get i totally get like how the expectation of this like 80s film there's pinhead and pinhead's in it for you know not very much and it's kind of like the silence of the lambs where the main character of that movie seems to be anthony hopkins and Anthony Hopkins is—he won an award for being in the film for what—a total seven minutes. Yeah, it's really the the drive of these characters are the, are the, and especially the evil quote unquote evil ones because again the Cenobites just want to feel something they can't feel anymore because our humanity is so long and far from pleasure versus pain. It's it's just an interesting narrative I think just looking at it through that theme. And I totally get like the story is a little whack. But if you look at each one of these characters and you look at pleasure versus pain, they fall in it somehow. You got Julia, who is constantly bringing people back for Frank to murder. She's even murdering them herself. She is seeking pleasure and she's not feeling the pain. Frank, obviously, when he first like starts coming back to life, he says, oh, my gosh, I can feel. And he starts talking about how it hurts. But he's just seeking the pleasure of it because he's so far gone. And then there's kirsty she obviously is in such pain such trauma probably she isn't she's probably the one who's not finding any pleasure from it but at the very end once she starts trying to like kill the Cenobites and like calling frank a monster it's almost like this pleasurable feeling of like fuck these people i'm getting them out of here it's it's just very wrapped in itself and i think it gets lost in this again you call it, you call it right a soap opera narrative a lot of it gets lost in that
0: yeah, I'm glad you brought up that line between Frank and Kirsty because from what I understood, Julia is her stepmother, so I don't think it's likely that she would be Frank's kid just because I'm pretty sure Larry might have said something to one of the movers about her mother being dead when they were first coming into the house.
1: Which is, again, it's all, we can, it's it's there, and then I just, I just always like to speculate, like, Frank and Julia like did they have a kid and what could have happened it's just it's it's a it's just an interesting narrative but yes Kirstie's mother is long and gone but we never see her we never understand who she is as a character it's one of those like what if
0: and for all we know Frank could have slept with her too
1: (laughs) yeah we have we have no clue we have no clue where again it's a very I remember watching this with one of my friends last year I've seen this movie I always try to get people to watch it, but we were watching it together and she even was like, why is he so like he, I mean, Frank is totally someone that comes off as someone who assaults people sexually. Right. And it's very apparent that he is trying to assault Kirsty in that same manner. Yeah. And it's just, it's, He's it's never, very, very creepy. Yeah. Very creepy. And it's never fleshed out in the story. If that's maybe what his attention is, but and I think that's what makes me like come back to it is I just love how uncomfortable it is to watch. Like that's my main drive for continuing to watch it.
0: Yeah. I feel like this movie has a fine line between viewers like yourself who will sort of eat up that uncomfortability there. And then people like myself who might be a little like, uh, you know what, maybe this is a little too weird for my liking. I don't know if I'll rewatch it anytime soon. And I think, it's one of those horror movies that, no matter how you feel about it, it makes you think and it makes you look at horror in a slightly different light,
1: yeah, and i would I would agree, and that's why I have this this draw this or that's this sprue line all the way to like films like Hereditary that just came out or films like Midsummer, where it's a slow burning film with two hours i think Hellraiser is only an hour and a half, but like Hereditary midsummer are two hours plus and you just never feel like you've settled into the movie. You never feel like you've reached a point where you're like, I can breathe. And that's where I think I find the most enjoyment out of horror is like, I don't want to know it's daytime and feel comfortable. That's, and that was very well done with Midsummer. That's very well done in this movie. That's very well done in um, The Conjuring Tune. These movies that break the trope of like, Oh, it's nighttime. look, something bad's gonna happen. He's gonna come out of the bushes versus like you're in the middle of the day and you're paranoid because you have all the right to be paranoid in the middle of the day.
0: yeah, I think it's very interesting when horror movies opt for the daylight option. These killers are hunting in the middle of the day and you know, I'm glad you brought up. Midsummer, because I watched that too and really enjoyed how different that experience was as a horror movie. Even when you have something like Hereditary, it still had a darker tone to it overall, just because he was going out to a party and that's when everything happened. And even though part of it takes place in the daytime, it never really gets super bright or anything to where you feel it in the same way that you do in this when kirstie's out running around or when julia's out picking up men during the lunch hour at hotel bars or wherever she ended up going but you get this sense that no matter where you are and no matter what time of day it is you're not safe
1: yeah and that's what that's what i've really started to love about what ari aster doing and what some like what james Wan's starting to do like when they bring the human element into it when they bring the effects of trauma the effects of emotion of just going through an experience like this i think it adds so much more to the depth of the horror movie than just like we're screaming cuz people are dying it's more like i am actually considerably messed up from this experience and there's no and it's just like a stab at like the united states in general but there's no system that can help me because Like in Midsummer, everyone thought that Danny was kind of like crazy and they just didn't want to help her and they didn't understand her and she's this, she's that, right? But all she wanted was someone to like share her grief. And I think that's just where, and you get to like Hellraiser and bringing it back, like Kirstie gets brought to a mental asylum for fainting in the middle of the day and going on about this story that no one understands. And like, that's where the hall opens up and she gets attacked by this like creepy bug thing. And I think it's called like an engineer. Yeah. And I think these settings for some of these movies are what's more interesting than like other horror movies, because again, it's more of a realistic, like, Hey, even though there's these quote unquote angel demon creatures that are in the picture, all we know is that Kirsty's had a traumatic experience. No one gives a shit she keeps seeing this homeless dude who's coming in and like eating fucking birds and shit (laughs) and no one cares. And I think it's more of a play on like, you don't feel comfortable because you're not supposed to be comfortable in this world because it's like at any moment, again, you can just awaken in a hospital and what the hell are you supposed to do?
0: taking her to the mental institute definitely felt like an extreme. You would think that if someone passes out in the middle of the day, of course, they're going to be a little loopy when they wake up. But to take it that far and then have her locked in the room, she can't go anywhere. In a sense, that's something that felt very real for that time period. And you could kind of relate to that horror because that's something that could have happened to almost anyone at that time and then when you know the hall opens up like you said things just get even crazier there and you're like oh boy you know she's kind of the one character we've been rooting for this entire time because she really is the innocent one in all of this and you could say Larry is too but he's not really as likable so
1: <laughs> yeah poor poor Larry um you know this story but yeah I I think what just keeps drawing me back to the film over and over even like talking about it just it's so it's so sensory and that's where I think a lot of people start to lose what the grasp of horror means it's not necessarily to be scary it's not necessarily to be um like shocked or to be like frightened out of your skin or to like find so much gore that people like vomit during it. It's more just like, this sensory experience is happening and how are we supposed to react to it? How are human beings supposed to react to it? I think a lot of times we get caught up in that and we get so caught up in the believability of stories um, that it's hard for a lot of individuals just appreciate films like this or even like during A Quiet Place, right? Quiet places is this really sensory experience. It's almost like a movie where like if you are eating popcorn in, in the theater, like shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like these sensory experience in movies that people, or even like Bird Box, a lot of people just like to look at the story and be like, well, that's like not believable. But it's more than that. It's more like put yourself just in the experience, see what you can like find in it and see how human it is and i think that's been the beauty of so many movies lately it's not even like okay yeah bird Box's story was like crazy or um a quiet place again how did they survive okay blah 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 like who cares like it's more of like this is a sensory experience now this is more than just a story this is an actual thing that's going to make you feel see hear something that's going to put you in a different place and i think so many people are uncomfortable with that that they just don't find themselves in it and it's totally fair i mean some people want to just like shut their brain off and not think about that but i think what they're missing out on is like just experiencing that moment in time and space and when you're able to do that i think you're able to pull so much more out of a film out of a book out of a album whatever it is like, if you go back and listen to the Annihilation soundtrack, like, every time you hear it, you hear that motif play, you know where you're at in the story. Or if you go back and you um, watch Arrival, like, now that you have been caught in on the trope of, like, oh, these are actual flash forwards, like, but again, that's an experience that someone's having that could be completely real. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and... I do want to also talk about Clive Barker because this Mm. is his creation really all around. He did the screenplay. He directed it. It's based on the Hellbound Heart novel that he wrote. And I'll be honest, I'm not super familiar with a ton of his work. I've obviously heard of him and I've heard of quite a few of the movies he's done outside of the Hellraiser movies, but I never really did any sort of deep dive into his work. Is he someone you were familiar with before watching this, or have you dived into more of his work since then outside of Hellraiser?
1: Um, That's a good question. More often than not, the the first thing I hear of when I hear Clive Barker is indeed his Hellraiser series, because that's what he's known for, that's kind of what put him on the map and he's only responsible for like I believe the first four there's been like fucking 10 of these things (laughs) and Hellraiser is like I think his shiner Hellbound which is Hellraiser 2 is super good and probably more disturbing visually to watch but I think it gets really it gets really caught up on trying to be a slasher film and like the main villain of that's kind of like awkward and the last 20 minutes kind of fall apart but the like hellraiser 2 is super super messed up visually and they kind of just went off the rail hellraiser 3 is eh. i haven't seen bloodline in probably a decade okay so i wouldn't remember about that but um the other stuff that he's released i want to be honest i've seen nightbreed i know that one off the top of my head that's really it i'm mainly known for yeah because i think the Hellraiser movies are some of the things he directed. I know with Hellraiser, he directed it. Some of the other things, I think he was just a writer for it. And I know he wrote a lot of books. I have some of them in my place. But, yeah, a lot of his movie movies are not as out there. He's I think he's more of a writer, visual artist. And that's why Hellraiser yeah. and some of these movies stand these tests of time. I know he had this video game called Jericho. And it came out in, like, probably... 2006, 2007. And I remember that video game being like really cool to watch and witness, but the story was weird. So I think Clive Barker's like a visionary and a writer. I'm not sure if he's much of like a producer, producer, you know?
0: Yeah, just looking at his Wikipedia page here, he's been a producer and writer on way more things than he has directed. So you really get the sense that writing is. Where he's most at home. And the only thing that he's worked on that I really have on my list to check out is Candyman, which is another horror movie. And he was a producer and writer for that. So that might be what I check out next. And then maybe I'll return to some more of the Hellraiser movies. But like I said, with this one, I'm not in a rush to rewatch it anytime soon. And what I've been trying to do this month, and hopefully by the time everyone is listening to this, I've done a pretty decent job of it, is just going through and watching either a horror movie a night or a horror TV show episode or two a night. And I'm mostly focusing on things that I haven't seen before, just so I can sort of broaden my horror genre knowledge and, you know, have these movies under my belt for future discussions like this on them. And, you know, maybe some more of Clive Barker's movies will fall under that category, but I'm not too intensely familiar with any one piece of his work.
1: Yeah, I hear you. But I would just take a look at anything from the 80s, And to anyone listening, just take a look at anything from the 80s and just start there and go along.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I've been doing and you know, horror as a genre can be super interesting if people are willing to take risks. You know, most people think of horror and they think oh, slasher films and that's kind of the extent of their knowledge of horror, but as I've been diving into this, you have all sorts of different kinds of movies, you have different ways you can film a slasher and You have different ways you can film zombie movies or TV shows in the case of The Walking Dead, which I definitely won't be starting because that's way too much of a commitment for me.
1: (laughs) Isn't worth it. Yeah, that one's not worth it. I would say everyone start on the 80s and then move along. But with that, I think I am wrapped up. If you are wrapped up, my friend.
0: Yeah, I think this was a nice, quick discussion on this movie. I'm glad we got to talk about it. And Sean, I will definitely have to have you back on, preferably when neither of us is too busy to, you know, have a lengthier discussion on something because, you know, I know you're teaching now and I'm gearing up to move this weekend. So things have been a little hectic for both of us here.
1: Yeah, 100%. Keep me updated on what anyone's watching, what you're watching. And yeah, we'll we'll talk soon.
0: Yeah, for sure. Before we go, I quickly want to let you all know about our Patreon. If you want to support Welcome to Geekdom, you can do that by picking the dollar a month tier or the $5 a month tier. The former gets you a thank you on the podcast. The latter gets you a topic selection, and I will have to cover that. You know, who knows? Maybe you could pick a topic and Sean would come back for it. We'll see about that. But you can find us at Geekdom Pod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. Sean, thank you again for joining me.
1: Thank you very much, Deanna, for having me.
0: Of course. And to our listeners, as always, thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.